Hi, I'm Christina Dennis, and you are listening to The Recovered Life Show. Every week, we bring you a Recovered Life discussion about rewiring your brain and how understanding your brain will help you fully live your best recovered life. Remember, addiction is a life-threatening condition, and the information in this discussion is provided as a resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This is not a substitute when professional diagnosis or treatment is needed. Now let's jump into the discussion. So today's room is going to be talking about turning your frustrations into assets. Last week, we learned about stressors and the stress cycle, and I gave six really good tips on how to complete the stress cycle because it's cumulative stress that kills us, not the stressors in our life most often. But once, so being known that, um, yes, thank you, Val, for letting me know that that happens. <laughs> being known that um, that you have an outcome in order to deal with your stress cycle is what is so powerful and probably one of the biggest um, points of this book called um, Burnt Out and How to Unlock the Stress Cycle. But the next chapter, and this is the one I'm going to share today, is talking about what do we do about the stressors? And I think when we're in recovery, we realize there are a lot that we can't control at all. Like it is not possible for us to control um, things that are outside of us. If you are in a program, you hear people, places, and things, it's uncontrollable. If you um, are not, I'm sure that part of your recovery process has been that you know that you cannot control things outside. So what I'm going to propose is the street, three strategies to turn assets into, you know, frustrations into assets are about things that we can control. And because this is the brain room, I'm gonna share a little bit of the science behind it. So what is that mechanism in our brain that manages the gap between where we are and where we wanna go? You know, and it's called something very specifically, the discrepancy reducing, increasing feedback loop and criterion velocity. Now that's a long, very, very uh, educational term, very scientific, but the book kind of starts referring it to our own internal monitor, and we all have one. And what the internal monitor does, it knows the goals that we have, it knows exactly how much effort we put into every goal, and it knows how much progress, and it manages the effort-progress ratio and, there, and, it, and our own internal monitors have a ton of opinions about what is a suitable amount of effort and what isn't. And so if we have high investment into something and little progress, every one of us is going to be frustrated. Every one of us is going to have feelings. It is impossible to get to a place where that doesn't happen within you. But there are strategies to help you deal with those frustrations. And I want to make it clear that we're only talking about stressors that you can control. And I'm going to share the three strategies that our monitor understands and how we can work with our monitor and not have uh, a negative pessimistic view. Um, there is uh, a strategy called planful problem solving. 
and that's the official scientific name. And what this means is that we take the time to analyze the problem, we make a plan, and we execute the plan. Uh, sometimes we have to change the kind of effort we're doing. If you are a person who carries a lot of stuff around with you, um, let's say band-aids and all kinds of things. You know, when I was, when my son was much younger, I carried a bag of stuff. That is exactly what plan, planful problem solving is. We make sure that we look at all the possible outcomes and we have a plan for it. And um, I see we have a room full of ladies. Um, and I'd have to say that there's a huge amount of socialization toward planful problem solving um, toward our gender. The, the problem is, is okay, we've got a lot of skills in this area, but every one of us knows that every problem has to have its own plan. So when we have huge amounts of complication, it takes many, many plans to do, and there is a ton of effort in this. Um, doesn't mean it's a bad thing, but it's really important to understand that this is a mechanism that our monitor is teaching us how. This is something we've been socialized to do. If you've ever been in a group of people and you tend to be the person that they go to or everybody else is silent until you make the plan, that may smack of codependency. But it's important to really know that this is a solution. This is a strategy to have a plan. Um, the second strategy is called positive reappraisal, you know, and that is something that I think a lot of us know how to do. And it's important to kind of recognize yourself for having this skill and this strategy. And <clears throat> if you are naturally optimistic, then you know how to look at a problem or a frustration and see that there's something positive in it in it. it 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 includes recognizing that the goal or the thing that we're going toward is worth it um, reminding ourselves it's worth it it's about reframing difficulties during the growth and it's natural optimists and optimism although we're not talking about toxic positivity optimism is directly associated with positive outcomes. And so it's a really, really worthwhile um, thing to start to cultivate. And I think all of us learn this when we are in recovery and we start to see that we have the ability to reframe a problem and to recognize its worth. And so that's a really positive thing to do. And when you're dealing with strategies, it's very, very helpful. Positive appraisal, reappraisal is not toxic positivity and it's not, not feeling, okay? When we reappraise something, it does not mean that we don't get to feel frustrated about our plan not working in the first place or it taking a little bit longer. We still have to have these feelings. And I can see and tell you that I had a habit in my recovery of saying, that's okay because this came out of it. And it was my way of bypassing the feelings of, that I had about things being more difficult than I anticipated or challenges. And so I love that they include that positive reappraisal is not just 
you know, saying, oh, you know, we call it distorted thinking in ACA program, and it's called bright sighting, where you always look at the bright side. It is not helpful to us to not feel the feelings about the challenges. It is also not denial, and nobody is asking it to be denial. And so if you have been around somebody who is in denial about things being hard, um, you know how frustrating that is for those of us that are on some of those teams because we realize, okay, there isn't some reality in here. And so I think it's important to be gracious to ourselves for having the frustration and to understand that our brains are set up to look at negative things. It's called negative bias. And we literally have an eight lane highway in our brain to tell us what what danger is and a little gravel road to the positive. And that's why rewiring your brain is so important. It's why putting effort toward things that you, you really make a decision and you still have choices. Yes, this is hard what I want to do. Yes, there's been a problem that's come up. I'm learning how to plan around these problems. And I'm also realizing the goal is still worth it. And <clears throat> I can feel frustrated and still move toward and still have action. It is really, really good to know that when you're dealing with stressors, stressors you can control, right? You analyze the problem, you make a plan, you execute the plan, that's problem solving. When you are reappraising the positive, you acknowledge the difficulties and you see what is working. And here's what I found so interesting and I thought it would be really helpful to share that to the degree of uncomfortability in your actions, in your plan, in your goals is actually creating something that is even more important. And so I think that's really helpful for me. Um, we talked about it in um, the episode today for Recovered Life where, you know, we realized that actually having problems you know, actually, actually having a struggle makes it more worthy. And I love some of the scientific, because as I said, this book is based on science. I love some of the examples that they showed where we can really see that there is a direct result. The more uncomfortable we are, the better the results. One was they had students um, whose assignments were typed in a very ugly font that was difficult to read versus students that had information given to them in a very readable font. And they saw consistently the students who had assignments typed in this ugly font remembered more information in the short term and had better testing in the long run, which I think is awesome. I mean, awesome. Awesome. And there was another, another study that showed that when you had an annoying buzzy sound in the background, it increased our actual ability to be creative. And I just love knowing that, that they have scientific evidence that shows the more difficult something is, it will be worth more. Um, another example of how uh, struggle creates strength is physical exercise right? We know when we put our body through pain, we have gain. In fact, we have little signs, no pain, no gain. And that is one way to look at it in the physical world. Well, the same thing is happening with our emotions and what our capacity is to deal with the uncomfortableness of 
going for something that is more difficult. So there's an actual downside to things being easy, and they've shown this, that novices who rate themselves as very confident produce work that is inferior versus somebody who is an expert who understands that the work is going to be hard, um, and therefore they will be much more less, or they'll be less confident, but actually provide a better outcome. And so I like the idea that we think about positive reappraisal and using it as a powerful tool. It not only reduces stress because we understand that the challenge that we have is going to be more difficult um, and that it's to be expected, it also changes the brain function, which I love to know this because it makes me feel like I am not doing it wrong. I think that I always have a sneaky suspicion that other people know how to do everything and I don't know how to do it. And when we have difficulties and challenges, it changes our actual brain function. The dorsal lateral cortex activates, which dampens the ventral medium front cortex which dampens the amygdala. And the amygdala is where we have our stress response. So actually, something that we have appraised correctly and understand is going to be difficult reduces our stress. And I think that's just so powerful to know. Um, you know, that this actual stressor, that there's some benefit that comes with it, that there's some, a huge upside to things being challenging. Now, not every stressor is beneficial. And knowing you're being compared to others is one of the most devastating things for uh, our performance. And it just made me think about standardized testing in our world, that actually knowing something is difficult, um, but knowing that your results are gonna be compared to other people's results reduces our ability to perform well. And I think that's so interesting if you're in a leadership type of um, position, if you're working with people, maybe that is why that sales contest doesn't exactly work. You know, maybe it's not the right way to go about it. And I've always kind of sneakily sus suspected that when my results were being compared to somebody else's results, it wasn't an accurate um, measurement and it actually did me harm. So. When we have to do reappraisal, positive reappraisal, we can look at a couple of things to help us do that. We can change the expectancy, the plan. We know problems are coming, we're in the middle of it, what we thought was going to be the right way to do it isn't, or some outside stressor has come in. And one of the, one of the actual tactics that you could take is changing your definition with winning. You change what you thought it would be like, like how difficult it was and how long it will take. You redefine winning. And she used a killer, killer, oh my gosh, I have no English very well today. She was like climbing a really big mountain. If you're given the information that it's easy, it will be totally easy for you to climb the mountain. Your ability to deal with the challenges as you're climbing the mountain is going to be much more diminished and you will realize that your effort is much higher than the payoff and if you don't have a correct appraisal often we can quit 
And I can absolutely relate to this in my life because if I thought something was supposed to be easy and it ended up not being easy, my frustration would be off the charts. And so it's really important to know and how important to know these tools and make sure that if we start feeling the challenges, we do some reappraisal. Once we redefine winning, we're able to have the strength to keep doing it. So if you're trying something that has been proven to be difficult, it is important to know that we have to have a non-standard relationship with winning and we need to break it down into obtainable goals. All right, obtainable goals um, and we need to acknowledge the difficulties and we need to see where it works, works. And that is essential in doing what we need to do. Um, they brought up an entire performance about how like when we're recording something as a musician and I love this example we looked at that whole idea of what um, what is perfection what can be done and how this conductor in the middle of sharing you know taping recording over and over again and realizing that everybody was falling off their motivation their ability to expand was shortening because of how many times we were taking it and she gave the group of singers a different goal and it had to do with providing joy for one particular person which allowed them the access in order to get there and it was just phenomenal to hear that because I could see that in my own life that when I say okay I'm going to you know do this for instance I hear a lot of people that have expectations about getting married and having a child at that time and they put an age on it and those are stressors that they can't control and so they continue to do that um, asking for that to be the only goal when they really need to put it down into smaller increments like maybe meeting somebody looks like getting comfortable with your own anxiety and starting to create friendships first the incremental goals that we set need to be i'm sure everybody's heard smart specific measurable you know attainable but they have a few more that I think are really cool so that if you do have a problem you're in reappraisal you're not exactly sure how to break something down use these as your guideline they need to be soon so in order to keep ourselves going and obtaining and overcoming these challenges we need to have goals that can be attained soon they need to be short very understandable they need to be incredibly specific to you know I'm not going to make the whole world happy I'm going to make my family happy and these are the three people that I'm going to work on they need to be certain in other words we have to have goals when we are looking at challenges and moving forward um, that we know we can obtain we know that we can do it within it so I know that I can go online and fill out one piece of paperwork so that's going to be my new success measurement they do need to be positive. And what I mean by positive is that they actually feel good. We're not just avoiding suffering. Um, because really having goals and measured goals have to be something that feels good. The, the actually obtaining it is the positive. 
Oh, you went out, Christina. No? Hello? I can hear you now, yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know what's going on with today, the app, but um, so they need to be uh, concrete, measurable, and they need to be personalized for you. So these big, huge contests in corporate world, you know, where it's one size fits all are probably not the best way or how we educate. And so it's really helpful to have this information. When you're in recovery, it is really helpful to understand for you, this may be more difficult than somebody else. And that's why your goals, your measurable goals need to be specific to you. It is not the same thing as giving a reward um, versus having success. In order to measure progress, we need to have something that is successful within itself, not just a reward for showing up, you know? No participation awards, no, you know, it's about being part of the group, that's the success. So it's counterintuitive and a lot of rewarding will happen, but that doesn't necessarily translate into feeling like we're winning. The other thing that we can do is we can change the expectancy and redefine failing. And, you know, they gave a bunch of really, really good examples that I'm gonna share just a few for the sake of time and the technical difficulties. One is the post-it note. That was a mistake, right? That was a chemist who was trying to create a very strong glue. And the fact that he created a um, weak glue ended up being much more useful to people. That was actually something that fulfilled a need, but he still missed his goal. Um, the pacemaker is another one. Originally, the pacemaker, the person who invented that, was trying to be able to monitor a heartbeat. But what he found, what his failed experiment showed, was something much greater than just a measurement of heartbeat. It's something that actually was able to keep the heart. So the last one that I'm sharing, redefining failure, is still one of the hardest ones for us to overcome. Um, and one of that is one reason for that is is that if we have something incredibly positive, we pull back and we see something that was a failure and what we had defined as far as winning is actually not a failure, we still have to finish our stress cycle around it. We still have to grieve it. We still have to um, feel the pain about missing the mark. And I think this is really apparent if you feel like, you were looking for something, let's say that post-it chemist, he was looking for something and he created something much more useful. It's, he still has to deal with his frustration and grief over failing the experiment. And I think that's so interesting and it speaks to feeling our feelings and being really open and sharing that. And that can be really difficult in public because people will say, well, yeah, but look at what happened that was good. So you find people that can understand that you still have a stress cycle that needs to be completed. Um, some of the maladaptive uh, behaviors that we use are self-defeating confrontation, suppressing our stress, 
trying to avoid it. That's a really, really big one, uh, especially for people in recovery, because, you know, we drink to avoid, we eat to avoid, we don't like those feelings. And we think that's going to help us be more, um, more uh, successful in, you know, don't dwell on the negative, don't do that. But it actually defeats our ability to actually put all the energy we need to in the next one. And I think that knowing that when you're avoiding something, just knowing that this is a maladaptive stressor response and isn't actually giving you what you think it's giving you is kind of important. Now, that doesn't mean that in stressful situations, we're not supposed to take some time off. As my son's caregiver, there were times where I needed to Netflix for the evening. The trauma was too big. It would have caused more harm. But eventually, we have to be willing to explain our feelings and share them with somebody. You know, when you hear yourself saying things like, um, even though I was down, I kept fighting try to attach asking for help with that. That's self-defeating confrontation. That's holding ourselves uh, to a standard that is harmful. Or if you say, I didn't let it get me down, that's avoidance. And that's not truly going to help us understand and use our monitor. Our monitor is still going to get us. And so ultimately, when you find yourself in rumination or thinking about all those things, it's a time to stop and ask for help. And I just really appreciated this book and the things that it taught me to understand like that there is an actual brain function, that having a problem, having a challenge is actually making the goal more worthy and making it easier to obtain because of what it does inside of us is something that I'm going to spend the week thinking about. And it's something that I wanted to present to everybody. And so at this time, thank you for everyone who hung in there with the bad audio. I so appreciate it, but I'd love to hear thoughts um, and have you know a little bit of time for discussion from anybody who wants to come up and uh, share a little bit about what your experiences has been. Are you at a place where you understand, oh, I have been doing positive reappraisal. I have been learning how to do this. I do know how to redefine and have a non-standard standard relationship with winning. And now I'm going to look at failing in a different way and realize that I still get to feel the, the disappointment and the feelings of failing, even if it ended up being something that was really great that other people saw. Um, Amber, I'm going to send out some invites, but I wonder if you have anything to share. Hi. Um, yeah, I was just kind of thinking about it. Um, <clears throat> it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's kind of, I love the, it, I mean, it's, I mean, that's really fascinating and it makes sense why, like, if we don't actually grieve or deal with um, the frustrations that do come up and we're kind of bypassing uh, that part of the process that it can always come back up or it can diminish some of the energy going forward. Um, I've definitely experienced that in my life. 
Um, that's really interesting, though. I have to think about it a little bit more. I know, right? It is a lot of information. And I felt like a lot of it really is what recovery is about, right? I mean, it tells us in my own life, I've seen the direct result of something that I felt huge shame for, a personal challenge that I had. You know, my alcoholism kept me moving forward, you know, into self-destructive behaviors and how that really actually opened me up to such a positive world dedicated to self-growth. And so most of us who are in the recovery world already have one of the biggest concrete um you know, successes. And when you look at the way, if you're in a 12-step program or the day counters that are now available, it is so important that it's personal to us and that it's concrete and that we do ask for help. I mean, it's just really realized and it's super cool to have the scientific evidence to back it up. Elizabeth, thank you for coming up. Yes, I'm here and I love the conversation that's going on and uh, you know, having uh, adult, child, uh, adult child with autism and knowing how important it is to recharge my, myself and doing what I do as a person in recovery and in service, in recovery and service to being a relationship coach, you you end up giving and giving, but always being cognizant of recharging and coming back to self and feeding feeding your my soul, and you know also looking at my my shortcomings and the shortcomings of you know feeding. I guess today I'm reflecting on my shortcomings of. I have to disclose here be and being honest you know there's that bit of arrogance too you know oh I like I like what I do I I feel good about what do. I you know I get reinforcement about what I'm doing but hey get back to humility here you know and gratitude because that always keeps me in a place of peace and you know I have to regenerate and stay in my place of flow and calmness because that's where I need to feed that and not get into a place of, of depletion because that's where I, I lose. I lose what I, where I give best. And it, it's just a circle that if I, I get into that rat wheel of go, go, go and give, 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 I can't give to anyone, you know, let alone what I want to do for my family. So it's taking that, that time to to live in gratitude and living humility you know being humble and even though i spend a lot of time in recovery now yesterday i spent four hours in recovery but hey that's that's my arrogant self thinking oh i spent four hours in recovery yesterday well yeah it's not about how much time it's how did that make me feel how did that my spiritual self you know, it's, it's reflecting and it's thinking and it's living in my spiritual world. You know, I, I'm really 
giving that a lot of thought today. And I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Oh, I love that. Thank you, Elizabeth. You always bring it. You always bring it. I know that you are a woman of love. And I think that we cannot get, we cannot be told about love and seek love enough. Like there is such a place in our world today that we need to be reminded over and over and over again. And I know that you share the same path as I do with uh, an, uh, a kid on the spectrum. And I mean, the, the uh, path that that takes us is all about this. You know, there's this poem in the special needs world that talks about you were planning to go see the tulips in Denmark, but your plane landed in Italy. And it talks about how looking at the positive, you know, positive reappraisal of Italy uh, and all of that. And, and it's nice. It's really beautiful. But I remember sitting in a group where someone sh stood up and, and, and said, I am sick of this. I want Denmark. I want to be upset about Denmark. I want to, you know, I don't care if I can get pasta in Italy. I want Denmark. And I remember, and when I was reading this text, I realized that's right. We have to finish the stress cycle. We have to have the pain that is attached to this. And, um, you know, that comparison piece, I think is really important um, because it's impossible for us to not compare. You know, it, it is, you know, we've learned that through a lot of science. Saying to yourself, don't compare, um, is probably not going to be something that we master. We can certainly remind ourselves not to compare or try to refrain from it, but we have to eventually say, what value am I putting on that comparison? You know, what do I, what information am I taking from comparing to what end? Is it to continue to redefine our relationship with winning um, or redefine our relationship with failing? And ultimately, it does come down to what we dedicate ourselves to. And so thank you very much. And I, I understand what you're saying when you say uh, the arrogance. Um, I think that speaks to me too um, sometimes because I have learned that modesty isn't about, you know, downgrading myself in front of people. Uh, true humility is not I mean, about that either. Humility is being open to continue to learn and realizing that if it's easy for us, if we continue to dial it in, we are decreasing the value of it. And so for me, um, I have to embrace those struggles that I have on a day-to-day -day basis because they are expanding me to greater lengths. Um, Teresa, thank you for coming up. What would you like to share? I just found, oh, I'm Teresa. I've just found all the um, interesting things about science but and it's just crazy, I mean, crazy interesting how our brain works. Um, I feel like I'm in self sabotage mode all the time when it comes to my goals, 
And it wasn't until I actually had to put a little money in it, but it was affordable, thank goodness. But an accountability person just checks on me five minutes in the morning before I, I start work. I have my three goals written out. They're my goals. And uh, I'm, I work on them for a half an hour uh, each day. And then there's one goal that is specifically for the weekend. And I'm actually making progress. <laughs> but um, all, all the while, I mean, I was constantly putting things in its place and things that I really, really wanted to do. And then in the meantime, I feel like I call it self-sabotage. It's like, and then I'd sit here and beat myself up for not getting my goals accomplished. So I'm really interested in this book that you shared just because it makes it makes it easier for me to understand. You know, sometimes I want to put a label on everything, but other times I just want to understand why I do what I do. And that's, that's all I got. Thank you. Oh, that's great. What a good example of those incremental goals that we're talking about. What you're doing is something that can happen quickly. It's short, you know, it's specific. It's certain, right? Because we know and we pick goals that are certain, um, that are, are positive, you know, to make us feel good, not just to avoid suffering. It's concrete and it's, it's for you specifically. And I think that, that that's really one of the great ways and tactics that we can use when we're feeling overwhelmed and, or we're not doing something that we need to do for ourselves. Um, I always step back whenever I am struggling with action or I'm taking a bunch of action um, and maybe not finishing it. Uh, you know, procrastination is a version of perfectionism because we don't want to do something until we know it's perfect. So understanding that we actually don't want to do things perfectly because that doesn't make them valuable to us. And it really doesn't make, um, it doesn't change our ability to, you know, receive. And so I always look at the ikigai where you have four major circles that have to overlap in order for you to get to that place. And for me, the first, first thing that I have to do is believe I deserve it. Um, for a long time, I didn't have the belief that I deserved good things. You know, the second one that's just to the right of it is that I have the ability to receive something great. You know, for many years, I would pray or meditate or take action, but I actually had a receiving problem. You know, I wasn't able to receive positive things. I didn't believe that they were meant for me. And so I will actively practice receiving. You know, the third circle in your ikigai is alignment. And I think in recovery, we get aligned with what our true purpose is. We're not trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. We start realizing that, you know, this life that we had wasn't really meant for us. We really want to do something else. And of course, the fourth one is action. And, and I just love recovery because it's a space, you know, you come here to solve a problem. You're going to stop doing something that is maladaptive. But in order to stay stopped, we have to learn how to manage challenges, how to complete the stress cycle, and we have to understand that we are not unique, right? 
everybody else is struggling as much as we are. And if it's easy, then it isn't really that valuable. It does mean that I can work on learning how to receive and change some of my belief systems around it. I guess I'd like to say it a little different than that. If it's difficult for me to do, then there is probably a lot of value attached to it because I don't want to put out that everything has to be super hard. But having the realistic expectations and understanding that my brain works like everybody else's brain uh, and that there is science around it. It isn't just toxic positivity. It isn't ignoring our problems. It's actually being willing to feel the worries, feel the stress, and reframe our relationships with our expectation um, that actually allows us to feel and live fulfilled lives. Okay, I want to check and see if anybody else would like to come up. Uh, and share if you have anything that you would like to add to the conversation. Um, Amber or Elizabeth or Teresa, you're welcome to pop in again. I was just going to say, um, I was thinking about it and um, it, I think you're so right about it is like a lot of what our recovery is because it's like when you're not in recovery, like you kind of have these how you deal with things is kind of like you reframe it or you try to see this positive outlook on it I mean I've done that um I've done that so much and then when you get into recovery they're like okay let's like let's go to the deepest part of this and I want you to feel it as deeply as you possibly can and I want you to sit in it for a little bit and uh, it's like the one thing that you don't want to do but once you've done it and once you've gone there, um, it, it does, it releases it um, on a lot of different levels. And sometimes we have to go back there a couple times, but it's like you really are releasing it. Um, when before I would just kind of reframe it or say something quick or uh, I think you said bright siding it. <laughs> and and for some reason, the loop would continue. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm just like kind of feeling into all this information. This is really, really cool stuff. It's like, it's, uh, yeah, it's really, really fascinating. Harry, it's not allowing me to bring you up. So sorry. I've hit it a couple of times. Um, uh, hopefully, if you have a question, you feel up. Oh, it worked. Amber, did you do it? Oh, great. Hello, Harry. Do you have something you'd like to share? If you unmic in the bottom right of your phone, we can hear you then. Okay, I'm sorry, something's not working. Uh, I do need to end the room. I, I shared at the top of the hour uh, that it would need to be a little shorter today. I just want to thank everybody who came up, Amber, Elizabeth, Teresa, and everybody who stayed in the room. I apologize for the technical difficulties, but I think that this was a conversation worth having uh, so much for me. Um, and I think these are, these are, you know, absolute strategies that we can use and it's really kind of cool to have some language around it you know i'm i'm 
problem solving and I'm planfully problem solving and I am, you know, positively reappraising. And uh, I love that. I love that it has universal language. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.